Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 129 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How's everybody doing? Hope you're well. Man, I'm super excited. Thursday, I'm going to go see six different people who have been on this podcast in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, they're playing, it's uh, Mr. Sun's playing, so Daryl Anger, Grant Gordy, Joe K. Walsh, Michael Cleveland's playing, so Michael and Nathan, uh, Darren from Balsam Range, and then Jeremy Kittle or Jeremy Cattell, whatever they are, Josh Pinkham's there. I'd love to have him on the podcast sometime, so that's all taking place in Savannah this week. Uh, it's exciting. Also exciting, lots of new music. This week we got CJ Lewandowski. Their brand new album comes out Friday, the 25th of March, 2022. That's this Friday if you're listening uh, when the podcast first comes out. And it's fantastic, as you can imagine. And there's so much good stuff coming out here soon. Um, Mr. Sun's got a new one coming out. Andrew Collins has one coming out next week. Last week, Dom and Rick, Compton a few weeks ago, and a few others I can't really say yet. Uh, but this is such exciting time. So get those fingers warmed up to start learning some new tunes. Speaking of new tunes, you can learn hundreds of new tunes if you go to Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, from beginner to theory, jazz to bluegrass and old time, the new old time course that Reichman started not too long ago. It's incredible. The courses include high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks and plenty of tunes and songs to play. The best part is you can join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get the first month for free. Let's go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MandolinBeer, all one word at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And you can usually find Northfields when they're available in stores. They sell quick, but they're made in Michigan, and Elderly Instruments carries them. Elderly Instruments is the most trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted instruments. We all know how cool it is to be able to support the locally owned mom and pop businesses instead of supporting the big box stores. With Elderly Instruments, you're getting a place that's been family owned since 1972, 50 years, located in Lansing, Michigan, but they ship worldwide. Shopping at Elderly Instruments doesn't mean a compromise in quality, though. They have a vast selection of acoustic and electric guitars, banjos, ukuleles, most importantly, mandolins and all the accessories and books you might need. They also have a world-renowned repair shop that sets up all the instruments and, perhaps most importantly, the down-to-earth knowledgeable sales staff that can help you with anything you may need, from advice on high-end vintage instruments right down to what picks you should buy. And they're always happy to help. That's true. And they are only a phone call or an internet search away. Go to Elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880. Tell them Mandolins and Beer sent you. Also, Pavel Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player in Austin, Texas. Thank you so much to Pava. I believe I've seen a Pava and Ellis or two for sale on uh, the elderly.com website. So always some good stuff. Thank you to them. And Roger Simonoff and Simonoff Books is putting out a second edition of The Art of Tap Tuning. Order it now. It comes out on March 28th, which is just around the corner here. 
And tap tuning is amazing. Uh, he sent me the video. There's a 55-minute online video that comes with the book. The book is 76 pages, and it, it's amazing. The, the musical notes that are in these pieces of wood that make these mandolins. And again, science. I'm not the, the science guy, but I do know that tap tuning is one of the main things that Lloyd Lore brought over to Gibson. And if you listen to the podcast with some of the luthiers, you you realize that they're all still using the Lore idea of the mandolin. And actually, there's a great quote from Lloyd Lore here. An enclosed body of air, which is capable of being set in motion, in order to have the greatest efficiency, it must be set to a certain pitch. So go over to SiminoffBooks.com and check out this book. Order yourself a copy now. Build yourself your first mandolin. All right, let's get into the interview here with C.J. Lewandowski. And again, there's a great uh, interview with C.J. at Fretboard Journal, and he he discusses the story here. We talked about this before the uh, podcast actually aired on Fretboard Journal, but we talk about the Greek lore trip. So speaking of lore. All right, let's get into it with C.J. Lewandowski. Take care, everybody. If you're in Savannah, come say hello. I'll be there Thursday. Shoot me a message. Cheers, everybody. man it is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast cj lewandowski how's it going man it's going really good man good Been thank really you. busy thanks for having me on again dude thank you and thank you for coming and look at the the drury in here uh gave us the largest conference room they yeah. probably have for for two people to that's sit right and talk. <laughs> <laughs> so um congratulations on the new album first thank off. you it I is it is so good i think i probably listened to it on this I, i've been driving from charleston to nashville and i went down to chattanooga mm-hmm. monkey around and then up here to knoxville and i probably listened to it five times just on the drive and it's oh, just awesome. like so good i appreciate that yeah. thank you smithsonian folkways has been really good and really open to our ideas and it's been really good working with them on this and we're excited about the album it's it's quite a bit overdue i think um We've had it a long time. Well, you know, everybody had a long, <laughs> extra long period of time, but it seems like we, we tried to take advantage of it the best that we could. You know, there was a lot of time there that we sat back just probably like everyone else and sat back and said, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? Are we going to make it through this? You know, right. in, as individuals and as a group, you know, like what are, what are we supposed to do? So uh, once we gathered our you know, gathered our thoughts and figured out what we were going to do while we weren't playing music, you know, to maybe supplement our income again. Um, we got together and started uh, cutting the album, which we had, we did it in kind of two segments, I guess. We did the first segment. Um, we were actually still under contract with Rounder Records uh, when we went in the studio the first half. Uh, well, first half, I should say, f- I think it was four songs that we went in and did, and um, those, uh, I think everyone except one of them is on this project. And then uh, when we finally came to a deal with uh, Smithsonian Folkways, we just, man, we just, we hit it hard and got it done. You know, we got it done just to, just a hair past their deadline. <laughs> <laughs> but we've had some great people on the, you know, Bronwyn Keith Hines is, 
guesting on the album with us on one song. She's twin fiddling on Ramblin' Woman. And the rest of it's just us, though, you know. And uh, it's the first introduction of of Laura as an actual full-time member to a project. She's been on two projects with us. I was going to say she'd recorded on some of the earlier things yeah, with you she's, already. Yeah, she was on God's Love is So Divine on Sound Biscuit, and then uh, she was on the Grammy-nominated project Toll Tears and Trouble with us. And um, she, at that time, you know, she was still – she was on the road with us a lot, but um, – bouncing her job and and all that stuff up in cambridge in the distance and we were just trying to figure out if if we could do it as a band and if she could do it uh being from that part of the country uh just making sure everything would work so she finally and uh, i shouldn't say finally my bad laura (laughs) took her a while (laughs) but uh january of 2020 she decided that uh, she'd come full-time with us and then the pandemic hit so it was like when we started playing again in 2021 it was like we had a new fiddle player again <laughs> man so. um you guys we were talking about it just before we started recording but i got to see you guys at ibma mm-hmm. and you i mean you guys just crushed it <laughs> and you guys play like a band i mean i know laura's been with you while you guys have been a band for a while and you guys have I mean, almost in, eight years now yeah, yeah and lots of hours and lots those, of hours you yeah. know and um but holy cow man what a show well, thank you like you one of the top acts i got to see there and oh, good i appreciate was, that oh it was so good man we had a good time and we we had a fire underneath of us um going to ibma for one we didn't get to go uh last year because it was i shouldn't say i in 2020 because of it was online so uh i work with the education committee with ibma and so i was doing some things uh with the with ibma virtually i did a workshop and uh hosted a few of the of the little uh get togethers that they had but when we showed up in raleigh it was it was really good to be back and you know raleigh Man, Raleigh takes care of IBMA and the bluegrass people. They surround, you know, it's it's a long way from Nashville. It's a long way from California. You know, it's on the other side of the country for a lot of folks. But Raleigh really does take care of uh, IBMA and all those folks. And they, they roll out the red carpet literally and figuratively. And it was just good to be back in Raleigh. So I think, you know, we were nominated as well for Entertainer of the Year. So I felt like we had the new label we had new things happening that we couldn't even discuss yet at that time. And we just, I don't know, we felt good. So coming into IBMA again, it was, it was a good time. So you caught us at a really good moment. Not to say that we're not consistent, but (laughs) we do. Sometimes we light a fire a little bit hotter than other times. Uh, Yeah. Well, you guys were on fire. I mean, it was just like, Wow, I, you. you could just feel the energy. We were wasted. There were a lot of people at that show. There was, yeah, that was a huge show, and we had a. The one thing that I like to see is the diversity of the crowd. That's one thing you know. You get stuck in a corner sometimes when you're playing quote unquote traditional bluegrass music, and I, you know, I use the term traditional for a whole lot of other things uh, besides the music because I don't. I don't know if that really encompasses what we do. We still, you know, we we grew up traditionalist, and we still are traditionalists and preservationists and archivists or whatever you want to call it. But I feel like we're putting our own edge to it, uh, and so I would almost I tend to use authentic a little bit more and a real or you know words like that because 
you've got your traditionalists. Uh, there's some out there that are hardcore to the point, you know. High Fidelity is one of those. Uh, Cody Norris is like that as well. There's a lot of bands out there that are just it. They encompass what traditional bluegrass is, and that's that should that's great. That there's always room for it all, but I think you know we're we're looking a little bit farther than that as far as we want to play traditional and we'll get up there and play Stanley Brothers songs. There's two Stanley Brothers songs on the new album. Lonesome to kiss the sweet lips that once were mine. Lonesome for your spark the eyes of tracks you know but um we we love that stuff but we also want to leave our own footprint as well and it's working it's working good and back to the my original point though the the diversity of the crowd there there was so many different age groups uh just people there was people we had played a bar that night uh previous to that myself laura and josh we went and did a trio right there in raleigh and that whole bar is a little tiny bar, bar, little gift shop, little. Was, I don't even remember what street it was on, but uh, we went over there. It was called the Green Monkey. Oh yeah. <laughs> we yeah. went over there and played that, and I played. I think we did an hour and a half or something, and then we shot over there to the come here in C stage, and every one of those people that was at that bar came to that show. And a bunch of those people, they don't even, they didn't even know that there was a convention. They're from Raleigh, but they didn't even know that there was a convention <laughs> right. in town, you sure. know. They just got mad at us because there was the streets shut down downtown. <laughs> right, they didn't right. know what was going on. So uh, all those people, which there was like 30 people, which that place is, it's packed, 30 people. And then there was some out on the street. But every one of those folks came over there and they didn't, they'd never been to a bluegrass show before. So they went to two in one night just because... You know they liked what we did. Yeah, you guys are so, great, a great mix. Like I feels good. I bet. I feels bet. good to have those people come along. Well, I mean, so. you guys could play. What's great about you guys, and it's funny because like listening to the album, and you know thinking about this interview coming up, you know obviously stuff sounds traditional, but it, I, was, I was like having this hard time balancing. Me like it sounds like it could have been recorded in 1950, or <laughs> it sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday i mean there's, yeah. there's a real there's a real timeless quality but there's something about it that doesn't feel aged yeah to me there's you know? we like a little bit of edge to stuff you know rough edges on things because <clears throat> that that's something that bluegrass has missed for a long time and you listen to those old recordings and that's what i like about it you know you're hearing the grit and the grind of of whatever's going on you hear it in their voices you hear it in the instruments you know Sonny Osborne's banjo is mean as hell. And, you know, uh, Jimmy Martin getting up there and singing and doing all his crazy vocal gymnastics. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, the characters of, of bluegrass music uh, seem to have gotten lost in a way sometimes. That's my opinion. I'm, I'm not pushing that. But uh, I think the uniqueness and the, and the personalities and the characters of bluegrass music are like there's a new generation of them and they're coming out. There was a time I feel everything was a little bit homogenized in a way and too crisp and clean and too polished and too shiny. And that's fine. I, I love that stuff. I, I listen, you know, Doyle is the epitome of, 
of sparkle when it comes to vocals and his mandolin playing is just that's what I hear. I like twinkle little stars or something in the sky when I hear <laughs> yeah. Doyle. I can see that in my mind because Doyle is so crisp and clean and and that's perfect. You know, that's great. But you know, sometimes we need a little roughness, yeah. and and we like that. And our manager said one time, uh, <laughs> we were talking about doing a song, and I don't even know what the song was, but it was way off course of of anything that we would do <laughs> normally. And I don't know if he suggested or one of the band members suggested it or not, but I said, "What do you think about that song? Should we even try that? I don't even think how we could make it that." Uh, to fit what we do and he's like here's the thing no matter what you all play it's gonna be bluegrass because that's all you <laughs> that's what you guys do yeah so after hearing that about three or four times it's like you know what i think yeah i guess he's right because that is what we do and not to say that we're uneducated but i guess we're overly educated in the traditional sense of stuff and and we take we take bluegrass serious uh we love it, of course, but we take it really serious. So we want to represent it as much as as close as possible to what we feel it should have progressed to. Like, you know, Monroe died in 96. So where would he be at right now, you know? And we were talking about those uh, wireless microphones and stuff before the podcast here. Um, a lot of people say, well, that's not that's not right. That's not right. I guarantee, I have a feeling, it's, you know, Mike Compton might disagree with somebody, <laughs> but I bet, you know, you look at the, you look at the transition of Monroe's music and he was playing around one mic and then they got three mics. And then by the end there, he had his own mandolin mic and he had his own vocal mic along with everybody else had their own vocal and instrument mics as well. Yeah. What's to say that, you know, if Bill was still around, would he be doing that? Would he be wireless? Would he be, you know, because I think he was always looking for the next thing that was good and consistent and, well, he wanted his mandolin to be heard, so that's that's a good way for it to happen. Too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was in Ricky Skaggs' music videos. <laughs> yeah, you just you just think about it, you know. Think about those kind of things. It's, it's neat to, traditional, the word traditional has actually progressed, <laughs> and it did it under Monroe's, watch you know for sure you had a great quote in the uh the liner notes tradition isn't about shutting people out which i thought was awesome it's not you right. know well i think you know uh, you know but you know how it is it's sometimes sometimes people well you know it, not everybody approaches it that way especially yeah. in this genre i've and seen I it think draw that, lines and i think that's that's what i was getting at was that uh that was a portion i think of I don't remember exactly what we were talking about at that moment in time, but that that's what that's exactly what I'm talking about with the come here and see stage that night was, you know, if you don't fit this certain mold of what a bluegrass musician or a bluegrass fan should be or look like or act or anything like that, then then it's not right it's not traditional and it, and it has no there's no walls there's no borders to it you know and that's why i use traditional as scarcely as possible because everybody's definition of it is so different right. uh my definition of traditional bluegrass would be what bill monroe played and if you get too far even you know 
Flatt and Scruggs were the first progressive act after that. And Monroe was progressive when he hit the stage in 39 doing so yeah. the, the, the stuff that is traditional now was progressive in the day. So anyhow, uh, we could stick on that all day, but I, what I was getting at is it doesn't, there is no borders to it. Anybody can do this. You know, if you have the heart, if you love it, then play the music that you love to play. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, any of that stuff. And that's, you know, that night, I'm glad you were there that night because that really, I love that night because it's, it's always going to be one of my favorite shows because of the huge diversity in the crowd. You know, I watched, uh, I'm sure you've seen him. (laughs) Um, I watched a guy, he had a, did you see him? He had the cape on. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot about the guy in the cape. Yeah, there was, okay. There was a guy in a cape and I know him very well. He's a friend of mine and he, he came to the, uh, the show at the green monkey and then came over there and he was there at the show and he was himself (laughs) and there's no, that's perfect. Totally out of his, uh, element, I guess you'd say, but he's one of those people that it doesn't matter. Like, where he goes, it's going to be a good time. So he's wearing a cape and a gold headpiece thing <laughs> that he, he likes to wear those. And uh, uh, <laughs> it was – you could see some of these old folks, not to not to judge, but you could see some of these older folks that have been to bluegrass festivals for years sitting in their lawn chairs and just looking over there. He wasn't even doing anything. He's just standing there, and he's wearing that cape and – and headpiece thing and these old folks are just kind of looking and you could tell like they'd kind of lean over and talk to their husband or wife like and kind of point and look and thought here we go here here's here's the ruin of it all i hate you know <laughs> this is what i don't like about the music sometimes it, it's judgmental before you even, and i know this guy like He's a great person. And he was having to, just having a good having time. Having a good time. And, and not bothering anybody. Nope. It, it's just, nope. If but anything, it made it even more enjoyable by to the see end somebody of it, having that much fun. Oh, yeah. By the end of it, there was a train going around. <laughs> and those people that were sitting there judging was in that train laughing and carrying on. And they wouldn't have had that kind of time if, if Brian wasn't there, right. you know. Yeah. So to see that evolve – in 90 minutes, you know, less than 90 minutes, it's pretty cool, yeah. pretty cool to see. So, uh, I don't know. It's just encouraging, and it's uplifting, and it's bright, and I like that. I, li- I like the brightness of of the future. So Yeah, you should, man. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, speaking of, of brightness, your, your guys' outfits are always the best. And <laughs> I, have, I have probably a top five moments of IBMA, and one of them for sure was when I first saw you the first day there at the at – the, booth i had over there i'm like hey what's going on we're talking i'm like do you have a cool outfit picked out for the uh, award ceremony and you just looked at me and said well won't you have to wait and see <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did that was the best I man yeah. i'm like that's so great i mean it's just the the um the amount of like love and and thought and uh, the stuff that you guys put into the whole package you know what yeah. i mean like that's it's important good. i love it for sure i uh i've said it a bunch of times and I feel like if you're going to be an entertainer and people are going to come and see you, then it doesn't have to be, you know, sometimes we get a little out there with our outfits. And that night, too, is like, hey, it's the IBMA Awards. We ain't been here in two years. We're going to go out. We got a new single. So I'm going to get a suit designed around eastbound and down. (laughs) 
We gonna do what they say can't be done We got a long way to go And a short time to get there I'm eastbound just to watch old bandit run Keep your foot hard on that pedal, son Never mind them brakes Let it all hang out cause we got a run to make The boys are thirsty in Atlanta And there's beer in Texarkana And we'll bring it back no matter what it takes And it worked, it was great My aunt, uh, Tammy, she's in Missouri she uh she made all that well she didn't make the suit i found the suit and then uh she did all the artwork on it and uh that's what you do like you go it's it's the night for bluegrass music it's Mm -hmm. it's our well what they say a bluegrass music's biggest night or something like that yeah and go in there like you own the place that it's fun you know it's the one night that you they roll out the red carpet for you and and you feel like you know everything is paid off that you work towards all year Mm mm-hmm and um you know it it was a great time but um we like to do that and i always tell the guys like well and laura as well like if you go out in the crowd if you just go out and stand out in the crowd you should be able to be identified as a musician like with what you're wearing absolutely what you're wearing what you're supposed to be wearing or what you did wear on stage you go out in the crowd is it different because those people are paying to see you and I think that's important, you know. Yeah. There's an image. Uh, everybody has a different image. Um, I keep bringing Compton up because you're going to go see him in a little while. But, like, Compton has the bib. O- if Compton wasn't in bib overalls one day, I'd be like, what's wrong with Mike? You know? <laughs> right, and right, and right. sometimes he wears the vest over the top like yeah. Hartford did. Like, it all relates and it all correlates. And he's paying tribute to Hartford in a way sometimes with wearing a vest. And mm-hmm. it's just it's so cool. Like, everybody has their own persona and that's what i'm getting at with the the uniqueness and the characters of of music it's it's so cool to see all that branching out again and it's not just like my generation or younger it's the older folks too that are you know um well you just they're just being themselves you know Mm -hmm. and that's the coolest part of it we had so many crazy characters for the longest time that our stories are told on and will be told on forever. <laughs> but, you know, some some of that doesn't happen. Jug has a saying. Uh, he said, there's not enough fist fights in bluegrass music anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So, man, Jug, uniqueness. Uh, you, um, there was an Instagram post at one point when one of the guys from Mile 12, like, ran and did, like, a cartwheel or something like that. And I, it must have been you that posted on the thing is something like, uh, Jug says... If this is one of those new internet trends, he's out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. We can't follow that. <laughs> yeah. So this new album, man, uh, Never mm-hmm. Slow Down, fourth album, it's great. It, how did the Smithsonian Folkways come up? Because what I thought was cool the minute I saw that is the the first thing I see is they had those two killer uh, Monroe albums that they put out, the Bluegrass mm-hmm. Boys and then uh, Bill and Doc Watson live. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, ju- I see that cover, and for me, those are two just, I mean, you know, it's, they're such great albums, you know. Oh, and, man, the archives of Smithsonian Folkways is just, it's it's limitless, it's endless. It's, you know, I can't wait to go up there and kind of dig. Yeah. I think we're going to, well, we're, we're playing up there soon, but I don't know if we're going to get to go to the actual office, but eventually we, uh, we want to go up there and go through the archives and, 
and maybe do some video work up there as well. Oh, kinda. cool. Um, Jeff Place and I, we've talked about maybe doing like a history lessons or whatever from the Smithsonian Folkways vaults mm. and bringing out rare records, playing a song out on like YouTube or something like yeah, that. Yeah, man, for sure. Channel. So um, there's an endless amount of music of all genres on Smithsonian Folkways. It started in 1946, so insane. You know, one of the oldest labels as well. So the connection there was um, I knew John Smith from uh, Leadership Bluegrass, uh, IBMA's Leadership Bluegrass weekend in 2017. We were both in the same class, and John was super quiet the whole time, had no idea. You know, I think he had just left another uh, major label and come to Smithsonian Folkways, and he managed so many people on the Americana outlet. Um, just a wealth of knowledge, and I had no idea. I had no idea. So we kind of hit it off, I guess, the last day. We have a party on, on one of the nights before the last day, and then, yeah, let's see, on Tuesday, and then Wednesday's our last classes, and then we all disperse from there, so... Um, John never did really say anything, and then uh, we seen him at uh, Pickathon, and we had the connection because of uh, leadership bluegrass class. And during that time, we were mixing the project for uh, Rounder, and he was asking how that was going, just because he was a fan of ours and curious, not to be nosy. He was just curious, and I said, "Yeah, it's it's doing fine. We're running into a little bit of." complication here and there but you know that's expected nothing bad and he said well he said okay he said well what's the you know what's your deal with rounder and so i told him the logistics of it just talking to his friends and he said well he said you know i can't really officially say anything because you're uh, signed with rounder but he said if you do ever want to do anything you know or if you decide to change uh change hands then uh call me and I said, okay. <laughs> so it wasn't even like, we'd love to have you on some, it was just like, Hey, call me when you, if, if something happens. So, um, that moment came and, um, it was, uh, it was our decision to leave rounder records. Um, and we had to request for a release and all this stuff and it worked and we still love, I love rounder records, man. Sure. I love them and I love Ken and Marion and Bill and I seen, we seen Bill in October uh, well, we've seen Ken and Marion too at, at IBMA, but uh, Bill, I really, Bill, we really hit it off, and he come out with that early days of bluegrass. He wrote that big book. And oh, had that, right, right. If anybody out there is listening to this, that's a great reference. That's the early days of bluegrass that Rounder put out, um, ten record set, and then he he condensed it into a six CD set. And I, from what I understand, there's only five hundred copies. Oh, really? Made the book and the six CD. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. So that's a great reference for any of you bluegrass historians. But, excuse me, the the Smithsonian project, it came around. I had talked to, let's see, I talked to John, and I talked to several other. Um, word got around. I don't know how, but word <laughs> got around really quick that we were looking around. And... So a bunch of labels actually called 
and was, you know, oh, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. We can't make an official offer, blah, blah, blah. Are you still contracted, blah, blah, blah. You know, all that nonsense. And, and um, I just said, yeah, I'll. I never – I always like to listen. I always want to listen to what people have to say. <laughs> There's no reason to fret or, you know, say, oh, I'm not going with them. I'm not going with them because I don't – you know, for whatever reason. I don't like who's on their label or I don't like – so-and-so or I don't like what they do it's always good to listen what they have to offer because if anything if you're not going to go with them it might be really good to take an idea that you liked from them right and apply it to what you're going to do so not to steal from them but you know hey we're all in this little tiny business together why don't we work together a little bit so I listen to everybody. I listen to everybody's offers. I listen to their ideas. And then um, John was always right there, though, the Smithsonian name. So we decided to either release ourselves uh, and with the help of Yep Rock. Oh, yeah. We we're going to do that or go with Smithsonian. I said, well, we don't feel comfortable enough right now to release ourselves. And uh, Woody Platt really helped me with those ideas you know because they they distribute their own product steeps do and they do a great job with it but i just he told me the ins and the outs of it and i was like i i just don't know if i can handle that right now so and smithsonian was right there you know they were super cool they they answered every question so that's what happened we just the connection was so good mm-hmm. and one thing that a lot of people have been relating to here lately is um uh, we have the same uh i guess we have the same things in common you know smithsonian folkways well we're an extension of them obviously because we're doing business with them but the things we love they love yeah and they've been preserving music and and holding true to american music and american folks that play music and that's what we like to do like we we love to go to people's houses and we love to hear those tunes and we love to find these rare and weird records that have these songs on them that no one's ever heard before. And we like that stuff. And, oh, man, yeah. And me particularly, I love digging through records. And and that's one thing that uh, Smithsonian, they were like, we, you need to come up here and dig through some stuff. And maybe <laughs> we've got other ideas that we want to work on. Um, and hopefully it's a, it's a long-lasting relationship. And I feel it will be. But... That's the cool thing is Smithsonian also said that they felt like we would be a good fit not to take words out of someone's mouth or to quote them, but they were saying um, this will help. You know, we concentrate a lot on Smithsonian Folkways being a vault, being a, a historic label. Mm-hmm. And uh, I even talked to Kyle Cantrell about it, and he said, you know, they don't really do a whole lot of new music. And I said, actually, they do. They do a whole lot of new music, but just it's their collection is so massive. Right. And they do a lot of these re-releases over over a year's time, but they put in these new projects as well that some people might not see it all the time. And uh, that was one thing John thought that we might be able to help with is Smithsonian Folkways is a living, breathing record label, still creating new music, still capturing, you know, American music and preserving it for generations. And the one thing that I really love about Smithsonian Folkway, say, you know, 60 years from now, 50 years from now, I may be done, gone by then, 
but I have a grandson or a grandchild or a niece or a nephew or somebody, anybody that's not even related to me, they could call Smithsonian Folkways and say, we'll use this one for reference because it's coming out. Uh, there's no more copies of Never Slow Down. It's never been printed in 20 years, say, mm -hmm. at that time. They can call Smithsonian Folkways and they say, I want, I'd really like to have a copy of the Pull Rampin' Boys Never Slow Down. They will print one copy, full everything, just like it is right now that's going to be coming out. Wow. Sleeve, everything, booklet, make it, they will print. If you want one copy, they will print out one copy and they'll send it to you. Man, the booklet too bums me out that so much so much stuff is like streaming and digital because <laughs> that they sent me the uh, PDF layout. Oh yeah, bad ass man. <laughs> well, they got some good artwork people wow. at Smithsonian, man. I mean, just everything about it, <laughs> and and again, stories about the songs. Yeah, great story. That relates to the Jimmy Martin truck. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. want to ruin it. I, I want people to go out and buy it. Yeah. Well, I, it's yeah. I, a great tie-in, you know, with yeah. the... Uh, I with own the Jimmy Martin's truck now, for those of you listening, and people could say, what now? Mm -hmm. Jimmy Martin's truck. Well, if you look at some of the videos, he had these corny, <laughs> these corny music videos that are on YouTube, and I think Run Pete Run is one of them, and, and Pete's the best coon dog in the state of Tennessee. I know Run Pete Run. He's loading up the dogs in the back of that truck. It had a camper <laughs> shell on it at the time. And anyhow, I got that I got that truck from a friend. Uh, he's been trying to sell it to me for a couple of years, and and I got that truck. It's a 1973 F100, and it was restored uh, by the guy that I got it from. And man, it's so it's it's. I never thought that I would have anything like that. That's so cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's just an old, you know, two-wheel drive, long bed, a single cab, you know, F100 Ranger, and it's but it's Jimmy Martin's truck. Yeah, you know, man. it's not the most collectible 1973 Ford pickup, but I tell you what, it's <laughs> I love it. You know. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to get customized plates for it right now. I'm trying to figure out which. I think I had Old Pete and. I can't remember what all the different names I submitted for. So. Oh, cool, man! <laughs> but it's been a good it's been a good story to tell, and I couldn't believe it when I got it. You know, just to see it. I seen it in his garage about three years ago. It had a plastic cover over it, and he said, "Pull that back." And I pulled it back, and I seen those colors, and I seen that front end. I was like, "Hold on a second, is this what I think it is?" He said, "I think it is. What do you think it is?" I said, "Uh, is this Jimmy's truck?" He said, "Yeah." And uh, still has the title still in his name. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. He signed the back of it. Uh, I've got it laminated. Yeah. Uh, I had to get a friend of mine to. Uh... <laughs> I filed for a lost title. <laughs> I've got a friend because I was like, I can't lose this title. I can't give <laughs> right. this title up to the state. They, you know. Yeah. So I called one of my friends in Sevier County Sheriff's Department. I said. Hey, can you come do me a favor? Can you come? And he already knew. He loves bluegrass, too. He's like, as long as you let me drive the truck around. I said, dude, you can. As long as you get me a title, I'm cool. <laughs> so I get to keep the original. And, That's great, man. Yeah. It had an A-track in, oh, in wow. the player, uh, Jimmy Martin A-track in oh, it. Yeah, I read so, that's in the liner notes. Yeah, yeah, he would run around listening to himself, I guess. <laughs> and the volume was on max. <laughs> 
the the single uh, "Blues Are Close at Hand." Did you guys pick that, or did um, Smithsonian pick that? It was a combination of us both. Yeah, it's a great um, tune. When we finally come up with the um, the album title, John Smith came up with that. We then we kind of ventured from there. Uh, I had some in mind. I've been working very closely with Jonathan Willinger and John Smith and uh, Mary Monsoor and, well, Maria Ivy as well. And that was the first thing that we thought was, well, blues are close to hand. That'll be straight out the gate, hardcore bluegrass. And, again, it, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with what Smithsonian Folkways is doing because we're trying to pay tribute to uh, Jeremy's childhood and how he was raised his dad is tommy brown and they traveled for 25 years with uh, tommy brown in the county line grass That's where Jeremy grew up. That's where Jug cut his teeth. So there was so much influence there. And now Tommy drives the bus for us, too. He's he's with us all the time. So he retired from music and came with us about three years ago. And Tommy's music has always been great. And that that's one thing that I think that's why we've become friends. Um, Jeremy and Josh and me, we were at uh, Jerusalem Ridge, and the one... Uh, reason that I wanted to go to that festival was because Tommy Brown was going to be there. Oh, God, no kidding. And then that was the weekend that I met Josh and Jeremy. We hung out, and then from then on, that was 2008. Wow. And we were all friends from that moment on. So Tommy's part of the reason that the Poor Ramble Boys exist, for sure, in multiple ways. But uh, Glenn Offord wrote that song, and it's like, man, this is... I heard it on, uh, I think it's uh, White Lines and Road Signs is the name of the album that that uh, Tommy had put it on. And again, we can pay tribute, but we can also make it our own, you know? Absolutely. And that's, that's the cool thing. If you don't, these stories are important. I really, I really think the stories are important, important. And I think that they're, they need to be told because there's reasoning for these uh, songs. But if we wouldn't have told these stories uh, or tell these stories in the future, people would think it's just our, you know, a song that we came up with or mm-hmm. we found or it had never been recorded before because that album hadn't come out, you know, it was on a cassette tape when I listened to it. So right. it had kind of been lost. And so we wanted to pay tribute to Tommy's work and Jeremy's raising and and all of that and the music that we love from the County Line Grass. So uh, that's the reason, part of the reason why we put out the first single. I 
keeps on crying. I keep on trying. I gotta put this pain behind me. I love also that uh, woke up with tears in my eyes. Yeah, ties, man. Ties Don Brown the, song. That's right, buddy. <laughs> get to get a, in, in that Don Brown. Don Brown lore on the tr- on the, the track. Don Brown mandolin. That's, that's great, it. Man. That's it. What a cool full February eighteenth, twenty four. Yeah, it was so but good. When I crossed in backwoods, where that old shack stood, I woke up with tears in my eyes. I saved Don just for that song. Yeah. Uh, it, that mandolin chord's so great, but it, it was special. That's a song that I've wanted to do forever, and and I used to sing that song with the original tenor singer uh, with the Ozark Mountain Trio. Uh, he was, let's see, he's uh, he's eighty six now, Ray Gore, and so he sang all those songs uh, with Don back in the day. You know. I think he was with Don from 67 to 74 or something like that. And that was the pinnacle. To me, that was the pinnacle Don Brown and the Ozark Mountain Trio, period. They were traveling the country. They were winning contests. They were putting out. That's when all those Don Brown albums came out. And uh, that's the same time period that Don acquired that lore as well, about 1970. Mm. And so uh, that was actually the first album that that lore was ever on. Oh the wow! Tall, yeah, the Tall Pines, not my album, but the mm-hmm. the Tall Pines album, right? Uh, that woke up with tears in my eyes uh, was on. It's a Damon Black song, so haven't seen Mary in years, yeah. and, and yeah. Simon Crutchfield and all those songs. Uh, it comes from the pen of the same guy, wow. Damon Black. So it's it was fun to do that, and uh, I'm glad that Ray is the. Uh, let's see, I'm glad that he's still around because Ray is the only surviving member of that Ozark Mountain Trio configuration. So again, that's paying tribute to my, you know, my heritage and my raising and yeah. And the Ozark music that I love so much and the Don Brown, you know, just getting to play that mandolin on that record just like, well, I didn't play it just like Don Brown, but just like it holding that mandolin and playing that. <laughs> right, that's right. man. Yeah. It was it was surreal. Yeah, it was fun. I bet. That's a great, it's a great piece of history. Not just because it has Lloyd Lore's signature in it. It's just a, to me, it. I look at it. I'm like, man, that's when I was living at home and in the Ozarks, traveling all over the place and trying to learn from those guys. Like that is a, that is a physical piece of all that right there. Every mm-hmm. time I look at that mandolin, it it reminds me of all that. That's know? awesome. Yeah. Yeah especially now with like everything just becoming digital and it's like a lot of stuff's um, you know i mean it's a lot a lot of stuff's in good hands with people like you out there but it's a lot of people with the generations who eventually all this stuff's going to be just like digital and oh yeah you know and i'm just like oh geez man i like stuff (laughs) (laughs) i like yeah man people need to follow you on instagram if they don't because you got the you got a great instagram man (laughs) yeah i like i like cars and trucks and Let's see, mandolins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got to ask you a little bit more about mandolins, but before that, I want to just bring up one more track on the uh, the album that I thought yeah. was really cool. Is that old time angels? And old time angels, Lord. <laughs> Ain't 
there's a spirit out wandering First you'll feel the wind on your shoulder Then you'll hear her start to sing Jim Lauderdale was crazy. We're just going to put that out there. <laughs> He's my buddy. I love him. And, oh, he uh, <laughs> he wrote that song. He, well, he uh, he was a co-writer, I guess, on that song. And it was, we were recording that, or not recording it, I'm sorry. We were cutting that song with Jim. Uh, he invited us, let's see, we were at Merle Fest. And I can't remember. It was the first time we ever played Merlefest. I can't remember the year. Maybe it was nineteen or eighteen. It was one of those, one of those years. I think it was nineteen. Right. Anyhow, <laughs> look it up. Yeah. So, uh, we played like on Thursday or Friday one, and um, Jim had heard us. He introduced us on one stage, and then we got up on on one of the stages there, and he come up with us. And he done two songs with us. And one of them, he's like, we should do that Old Time Angels. Because I used to do that with Ralph. And you guys. Oh, and we we were doing uh, She's Looking at Me. No, she's looking at me. She's looking at me. So it was, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And uh, so we started learning Old Time Angels. And he kept in his Jim Lauderdale way. Uh, the poor rambling boys are going to cut old time angels they're gonna put it out and they're gonna hey listen here they're gonna put it you know <laughs> and so <laughs> it we weren't gonna do that uh, but uh i liked the song i thought it was cool because it mentioned so many of the you know the the people that have well the people that we're we know of that we don't know uh little maggie and and you know darling Corey and all these people uh was it know me wise i didn't even i didn't even know that song <laughs> yeah. uh, that story but uh it's all these uh women who have fatally died and and uh or tragically died terribly died like were murdered in these <laughs> right, right. in these uh uh songs of, of bluegrass music and old time music and he turned it around to say look out for these old time angels and they're coming after you and they're gonna they're gonna pay you you're gonna pay for what you done to them and we thought it was a pretty good storyline, but it just something wasn't clicking. And I just, it, it, it was borderline corny, and we wanted everything, not to take away from Jim by any means, but it, it was just like something ain't clicking right here, and I don't understand what it is. I can't figure it out. And I said, but we, can, we just can't record it. It's not right. It's, something's not right. So... um we just let it lay. And then all of a sudden, Laura brings it in. That was the last track we cut. Oh, no kidding. For this album. Wow. That, and that was actually the last time. That was the last song. We didn't even... We weren't even planning on putting it on the album. No um, kidding. Mm -mm. Uh, we needed one more song. You know, um, Smithsonian's really cool about, well, you know, do as many tracks as you want to, but it's got to be 35 minutes in order to fit on vinyl, which it's coming out on vinyl, folks. Hopefully yes. I'm not letting too much out of the bag I was gonna here. ask. <laughs> but it's coming out on vinyl, so they're like 35 minutes is, is caps for all this music. So whatever you can fit, do as many songs as you want to, but whatever they fit in there, that's what it's going to be. So I was like, well, 
We're at 31 minutes, guys. We got, <laughs> mm, we can fit one more on here. <laughs> we can do this. And so Laura said, let's cut that old time angels. I was like, oh, no, I don't know. And well, her and Josh had been working it up and that drop, he tunes the, his low E string down and capos it up and plays it out a like a low, you know, a drony sound on the guitar. And, and then she started singing it and I was like, okay. It changed it from look out for those old time angels to look out for us old time angels because it's from a woman's perspective. And that's what it was missing. It was missing the woman's perspective because it has so much more power to it. The corniness went away completely because it was her voice being their voice. And so I was like, whoa, this is okay. This is a completely different song. Yeah. Now um, it works. Yeah. For you. Yeah, it, it does. It works. And that whatever that I couldn't figure out, it it clicked right then. And that's what it was. It was it needed to be sang by a woman. Because everything everything that I had heard was just Jim singing it. And Jim, you know, he can he can sing the phone book and it yeah. would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. But it just it that perspective, man, it totally brought everything back around. So it was it was what we needed. And I felt, you know, I, I kinda laid out the, the track listing for the album it's like that's a good one to end on it's a perfect one to add on yeah. actually mm -hmm. yeah and perfect that it was the last track that you cut for the album it was yeah yeah that's yeah. awesome i didn't even correlate that till now but that's yeah it's the last track we did cut and it almost didn't make it <laughs> so jim at, at speaking of ibma again jim did a showcase at uh, the lincoln theater at this past ibma and he, he picked up a water he did old time angels with his the group that he had up up there with him and he picked up this water bottle and he held it like an ibma award he said now friends i've got he said hey 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 he does that all the time you know hey now uh i think i can let this out because he's seen me standing there and he said now he said i think i can let this out but the poor rambling boys just cut that on an album <laughs> so then he picks up this water bottle and he's like thank you ibma he's he's pretending that it was an ibma award he's like i appreciate this uh, uh i just want to thank the poor rambling boys for cutting my song for song of the year and he just oh, made this whole speech up and this crowd was just like what <laughs> he had no idea i thought it was hilarious but yeah. i was and he he even went as far as saying that uh we were going to name the album that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jim. <laughs> he's great. He's uh, he stopped by my booth and bought um, bought a shirt, and then he bought um, he bought I, one of them tie dye ones, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He bought, and then he bought um, one of Trist, uh, Tristan Scroggins had books there, and he gave me his credit card to run. He's like, I'll be right back, and like I didn't see him for another hour and a half. Oh, Lord. I was like, I, I, I we're going to frame this. <laughs> yeah, what am I going to do with this card? And then he just comes wandering back like it was five minutes. He's like, oh, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> it's great. Uh, we almost got a lock of his hair at Murphy. <laughs> That's a story for another time. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Speaking of stories, um, you were saying you just uh, did something with the fretboard journal? I did, yeah. yeah what's I did that? a podcast the other day with the fretboard journal about it. Uh, an adventure I took. <laughs> Most people think I'm nuts, but oh, well, you know me, and I love mandolins, and I I love the lore era stuff because you know I was raised around three of the best, and so since the time I started playing, I was about 13 when I started playing, and I grew up around three, uh, the Don Brown lore, which is a February 18th, 24, and then um, 
the Jim Orchard lore, which is a February 8th, 23, and then what we call the Toro, HF Toro Madeline, or the Rhinestone lore, which would be uh, March 31st, 1924. And um, anyhow, when I was a kid, the Don Brown was 30 miles from me, and uh, I played in a band called the Ozark Bluegrass Boys, and uh, Jim had his 23, and then at a t- at that time, his... Uh, brother rich owned uh the 24 the the rhinestone mandolin so here i am 16 15 16 17 18 years old carrying a 23 and a 24 so i would play the 23 <laughs> on one set and then i play the 24 on another set and um since then uh rich is rich has sold off his collection and uh that mandolin that rhinestone mandolin went to a very good friend in oklahoma mike bostick is his name and He's, that's an incredible mandolin, but uh, Jim still got his. The Don Brown is safe and sound, <laughs> and uh, it's 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 cool. I, I don't know. I just got ate up with that sound, man. You can't. I wish people. I wish people my age today could have got to do the things that I did at my age because I didn't know how lucky I was until looking back. Rich Orchard had a collection of instruments that uh is it was incredible his his everyday guitar was a 37 herringbone and from what i understand uh it's going to be sold uh next two weeks or so to somebody that's going to be on the stage all the time and going to cherish it so i look forward to i'm not going to give the name away but i look forward to seeing that guitar out because it's been in a vault for about two years so and i've got pictures of me with him and and i want to I want to make copies and give to that, but segue back. Sorry. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> I no love. The, I just love the vintage sounds, yeah. you know, and the yeah. tones, and and you know, I've handed lures over to some guys, and it's been like, yeah, sounds good. I'm like you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it, man. Uh, and you know, a lot of kids my age, I know this for a fact because they've told me. A lot of people my age, they didn't get the opportunity. Back in the time when we were growing up, those mandolins were hitting a, almost a quarter million dollars at the time. So these collectors wouldn't let anybody touch them. And that's the worst thing you can do, man. And so I got to be around a bunch of them. Uh, and even later models and stuff too, uh, 20s and 30s model mandolins and whatnot. Uh, the first mandolin I ever recorded with was a 34F7 that had been converted to a 5. So... You know, I just love that old stuff, and it's always been ingrained in my head. So I've always been on this trek to find the mandolin, and the Don Brown mandolin is is one of the best in the world. I'm I, That hands down to me, I, that's, like I said earlier, it's my childhood in a physical piece, and so that's irreplaceable. But uh, anyhow, I... Uh, I'm on a Facebook page, and you're probably on it too, the Vintage Gibson Madeline Group. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I kept watching this post for about two years. Uh, every once in a while, this guy would post. He's in Greece, and he had he claimed he claimed that he had a July 9, 1923 F5, but it was in Greece. And so the first time he put it up for sale, it was at a very, very affordable rate, you know, affordable price. Well, he put up some pictures of it, and it wasn't that, wasn't good pictures. And, you know, he's in Greece. Uh, so 
I didn't even think about it at that time, but his English is broken, you know? So much less can he type it. <laughs> uh, so he, his, his wording was crazy. He spelt Lloyd with one L. Oh, yeah. He didn't know. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah, he just yeah. didn't know. Um, anyhow, it, it came up a few times and there was all these mandolin aficionado like lore era aficionados like well you need to send it to george gruen this is all advice in the comments you know send it to walter carter send it to george gruen and you need to get this appraised and in order to get the money you can get way more money than what you're asking for this mandolin but in order to get that it needs to be in the states you need to ship it never happened and the guy was requesting a wire transfer so everybody's like well it's he doesn't ah, it's a scam it's fake <laughs> right. it's terrible you know and so this guy posted this mandolin over two years he posted it three times and every time these people would just like go right for the jugular man they would just tear him down and finally that third post he had dropped it he dropped it ten thousand dollars every time he posted it and so i seen that last price and i was like oh <laughs> man if this is true, this is, you know, man, somebody needs to save that man. I feel like it's real and somebody needs to save it. So I called a few people and they're like, well, you know, that is a serial number for July 9. And he's, you know, there's pictures of the serial number and the, the label. And I said, well, my biggest concern is the guy doesn't have it. Like he's taking pictures of somebody else's mandolin and putting them up and he wants a wire transfer and then what's going to happen right you know sure so i came up with this scheme of because <laughs> i'm weird and i you know do anything for lore i guess and i felt like the mandolin just like it was getting so beat up online and and this guy was getting so beat up online it's like man we just need to we need to end this if we can somebody needs to either cut him off or get the mandolin. Right. So I sent him a message and I said, Hey, would you want to do a video chat? And he did. He agreed to it. So we did a video chat that night and he didn't even leave the frame. He just reached over and grabbed the mandolin. Boom. There it is. And it matched the pictures and everything. And I was like, Oh, okay. He's got it. Right. There goes my question. <laughs> so he's got it. And, um, then I said, well, I'm going to scare him off if this is fake. I said, what do you think about me coming to Greece and looking at it? Because everybody else was telling him to come to the States. Right. And uh, he said, I think that's a great idea. That's probably the best idea that I've talked to anyone. He said several people have contacted me, but uh, that's the, I think that's probably the best idea. He's a, um, he's a classical uh, guitar instructor at the National Conservatory of Music in Greece, wow. in Athens. So he was legit, like a musician, but this was his grandfather's mandolin, you know. So everybody was asking, all oh, the price is low. It's it's a scam. It's fake. He didn't have any money in it. It was his grandfather's, and what he was trying to do was place this mandolin with somebody who would love it, because he wanted to get his holy grail. He wanted to get a Telecaster, and it was in um, Munich, I think. Wow. Um, so he was just switching. He was wanting to sell to get something that he would love and appreciate. And so he had mentioned Don McCrossy's name. Um, so I called Don McCrossy immediately and I said, what do you know about this mandolin? He said, well, my, uh, what did he say? He said, my apprentice at the time that it went, uh, the second time that it was posted up, he was interested in it and he knew this guy. So, um, 
we arranged it that he was going to fly to Columbus. We were going to look at the mandolin. I was going to inspect the mandolin and authenticate it. And then my apprentice was going to purchase it. But he said, I guess it was COVID or something happened. And he said, it just never happened. And I said, so how do you feel about it? What do you think? And Don says, well, I think it's real. And I said, okay, I need your help. You know, so I started asking him some questions and I needed somebody on the ground in the States to help me yeah. because if I was going to go over there, uh, the wire transfer was going to be, had to be done. So Don helped me with that. And, um, anyhow, I went, um, December 1st, I left <laughs> of 2021 in the middle of pandemic and U S government sending me emails saying you're crazy. And- <laughs> It's a uh, saying you're crazy because traveling to during COVID or crazy for getting the lore. Uh, well, <laughs> both. <kidding>. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Greece was in like a high, uh, high risk zone or something for COVID. So I I did you know precautions and whatnot. But I got there that evening after you know 5,500 mile flight, and it was just I couldn't sleep and then oh we had to meet him the next morning. And we had it in a uh, safety deposit box. And so, man, I <laughs> I got up that morning. And I didn't take public transportation because I didn't want to – I wanted to get home. So I didn't want to get uh, quarantined or anything like that. So I walked everywhere I went. In Athens, you can. Uh, so I walked to the bank that morning. We met outside. Same guy seen in the frame, you know, and in the video. And this bank, man, was – it was like something you'd see in like Harry Potter and the Hogwarts movies and stuff. <laughs> Columns and wow. and you had to have uh, he had you had to be a customer to get in this bank. They wouldn't let just anybody in. Uh, so he was the customer and I was his guest and we had to show all this paperwork and whatnot. We went in, go to the elevators, go four stories below the city, and we op- the doors open up. And it's just like another bank. And he's like, we're going below the city right now. As we're going down the elevator, we're going below the city. I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to. This is. I'm going to. I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> so <laughs> I was nervous. And uh, we got down there and it just doors opened up walked in there and it's another bank it looks just like it did upstairs man and we're below the city wow this ancient city of athens and so he says okay i'm gonna go get the mandolin okay so i had sat down on a couch and about 15 minutes later i don't know where he went (laughs) it was way back i guess i don't know how far back those safety deposit boxes went but it seemed like he was gone forever you know just there had to been a maze back there he was looking for jim lauderdale's credit card yeah so he uh he come back out and he had it in a uh, one of those uh, hiking satchels, you know. So I was like, "Well, this is disappointing," because I figured he'd come around that corner and I'd see that you know rectangle case. And it's like, hmm, what do we have here? So anyhow, went back upstairs, uh, and there was like this library, like um, museum or something. It had ancient books in it, just ancient. I'm telling you hundreds and thousands of year old books in there and they had a bunch of them under glass and everything and and that's where we went and you know no carpet nowhere and (laughs) he pulled that thing out and i seen that case and i was like yep oh man this is what i've been waiting for yeah this is what i traveled 
I said, well, that's the case. That's that's a lower case, and popped it open, and there it was. It was the real deal. Wow. After everybody had said that it was, you know, fake or a scam or no one's ever seen this Madeline before, and no one ever seen the Madeline before because I I don't I don't really know the complete history of it, but it has been in Europe for at least 60 years. And uh, his grandfather was a, a classical mandolinist, uh, and he lived on an island called uh, Z- Zakatos Island, which was in between uh, Italy and Greece. And he had a mandolin orchestra. He started a mandolin orchestra there. And, you know, they didn't know what a lore was. They had no idea. All the mandolins there were bowlbacks and stuff. Uh, they call them Neapolitan mandolins. And so that's what these people played. Well, he somehow he stumbled across this mandolin, and he bought it because it was louder and would project over the other mandolins so he could teach uh, the the orchestra. Go, no kidding. Had no idea who Bill Monroe was. I, sw- I swear, he had no idea who Bill Monroe was until he told me, he said, I looked up the signature on the inside and I looked up the date and it brought up Bill Monroe's mandolin. So he said, I didn't know that. I didn't know who Lloyd Lore was. I didn't know. He didn't know anything that most of us mandolin lovers and bluegrass lovers know. He had no clue. And, uh, so anyhow, it, it took, you know, I spent the weekend, um, I think that was a Thursday when I looked at the mandolin and then initiated i called don mccrosty and it was like three in the morning over here <laughs> and he's like hello i said hey go to the bank <laughs> and go ahead and, you know go ahead and initiate that wire transfer so we did that <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> and we went over there and we went to dinner that night and you know i i went and seen the parthenon man and walked walked in these ancient places all weekend and some of the best food had a great time and then monday or tuesday rolled around the money hadn't come through yet so i had to move i moved my flights long story short i moved my flights twice and on the last day they said well no more moving the flights if you do it's an extra uh twenty two hundred dollars to fly home i was like i can't do this so we got it all figured out um Finally, he uh, we had it in that safety deposit box, and the the bank closed at two every day, two p.m. Oh, really? Yeah. So even if something happened over here in the states to where the money would transfer, we couldn't get it after two p.m. We couldn't get to it, and he had to teach during the day and whatnot. So the last day, I had the keys to the box on me, and he. So we were going together when the money come in. I needed him because his name was on the box. He needed me because I had the keys. Right. Oh wow. So that's yeah. what kept it safe while we were you know, working out the deal. And man, it was like some kind of Indiana Jones story or James Bond stuff. It was, <laughs> it was crazy. And <laughs> finally he's like, well, the money is sitting in the bank, but it's not in my account yet. It's supposed to be in my account tomorrow. I said, well, I have to leave at 5 a.m. Right. to get on a, a flight. He said, okay, if you trust me, he said, I would like to get the mandolin out and I'll take it to my lessons. And, uh, if you trust me with that, I'll bring it over after my lessons tonight, which, uh, people over there, they work till about 10 at night. They'll take a long break in the middle and then they'll come, um, work some more. So (laughs) he brought it over and, and, uh, I said, well, I trust you. If, if you trust me to take the mandolin in the morning, 
without the money completely being in your account that I'd dang sure trust you for 10 hours, you know? <laughs> right. So he brought it over and, and we changed the strings on it and he sat there with me and man, that thing just, it blew my mind. The strings, the strings on it were like, they were the oldest strings I've ever seen on a mandolin and they were the lightest gauge strings I'd ever felt on a mandolin. This thing has the original frets, the original, uh, bridge tailpiece hardware everything broke scroll (laughs) scrolls long gone but that night i I had to you know get up probably about four in the morning to get ready and get packed to go to the the airplane or the airport and uh, i didn't sleep i just stayed up and played that mandolin all night and I, i did a video too of of me standing out on the balcony of my airbnb try trying to explain everything and i think i did the right job but it's like everybody you know here i am in greece here's the parthenon like it, the parthenon was right behind me and the temple of zeus was on the other side of me and said here i am in athens greece this is the mandolin that everybody thought was a scam a fake <laughs> i'm here to tell you that it's not that's and awesome I'm bringing it home so yeah i brought a july 9 1923 home from greece that no one has ever seen before and uh, it's two numbers off of Bills. Is it really? Yeah. It's sidebound, just like Bills. Uh, Bills is 73987, and this one's 73989. And the one in between, no one knows where it's at. Really? It just had, you know, the the lores were in sequential number. The con- uh, They just went in, in number after number, you know. Um, so 73988 is a serial number but no one's ever seen that mandolin it, it doesn't exist at the moment but seven three seven three nine eight nine didn't exist until just a few years ago he he had contacted gruent and he said part of the reason why he didn't send it over here was because the freight to ship it the way he wanted to would have been he told me like eleven thousand us to ship it and then uh he said you know they were going to charge me a percentage and i would have to tack that on which that's what they, that's how they that's how george and walter and all these stores make money and he said but i i would have just rather sold it for what i wanted for it and let somebody have it for a good amount of money a good price it's amazing dude so yeah i traveled a long ways. That's probably one of the longest trips for a lore, I guess. <laughs> I think I got a world record now. <laughs> That's great. Well, what better way to end the podcast, yeah, man. man? Thank you so much for doing this. It. I'm excited for the album to come out. The, the date the album comes out is? March 25th. March 25th. Yeah. So I'll release this. The uh, If we're listening to this now, I'll put this out the week of the pod, or the week of the uh, album coming out. All right. I'm and then excited, man. As a reminder for everybody to go out there and get it. And I yep. highly recommend, I mean, I say this all the time, buy, buy the physical copy. But this one, man, this is a great package like it's it's worth <laughs> it's worth getting it for the liner notes and in the layout because it's really fantastic well, i appreciate so, that thank so congrats you. and thanks bud thanks man thanks for having me anytime <laughs> all right thanks so much to cj lewandowski again thank you so much to you thank you to my sponsors have yourselves a fantastic week go get that new poe rambling boys when it comes out cheers everybody